The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, you ready to get into the Bible? If you got your Bible, your iPhone, your iPad, your eyelids, whatever it is, open it to the book of Acts, chapter 3. We're going to, last week, if you weren't here, we read the story of a miracle. John and Peter, uh, Peter and John are entering into the temple at the hour of prayer and the early evening sacrifice, and there was a man that was at the beautiful gate, which we now know is the eastern gate, begging alms because he was lame from his birth. Thousands of people were there. And then as Peter is walking into the temple, he, the Holy Spirit has him fasten his eyes on this man who's got his hand out, alms, alms. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And Peter reached out his hand, grabbed the man by the hand, and then jerked him up to his feet And the man was miraculously healed. So that's where we left the story. Now we're going to see what happened after this man is healed and begins running and walking and leaping and praising God. He gathers a tremendous crowd of thousands of people. And all of this happened on Solomon's porch. That's what we call this area right here. We're on Solomon's porch. Amen. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you would come before us and speak to us and lead and guide us into the truth. And in knowing the truth, we'll be set free as never before. May the church hear what the Spirit says to her tonight in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, we've got five life lessons. And these, you know, little points I give you to know where we are in the outline and in the Bible study, they are the application. So that's what I'm trying to give you is, as we go verse by verse, we're going to finish chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 9 through 26. So this is verses 9 through 12. And I want you to write this down. Don't look at the instrument God uses, but keep your eyes on the Lord. So going back, uh, I'm going to go back a little bit to read the story. Uh, Let's say in verse 4, Acts chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And fixing his eyes on him. With John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately His feet and ankle bones received strength. It's very specific Greek language. They popped back into place. He was lame. He was kind of deformed in his foot and in his ankle. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Just hooping and hollering. Hallelujah! Jesus! Yeshua! You know, he's healed, and now he's able to walk into the temple with Peter and John. And all of the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement 
at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man was healed, uh, who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man be able to walk. I love this. So this man gets healed, but, and he's, he begins to walk, and he's like, wow, I can walk, I can leap, I can praise God. But it says he hang, held on to Peter and John. Now, why did this healed man hold on to Peter and John? He wasn't holding on to them so that he could walk. He's already walking, leaping, and praising God. I think it was a combination of these guys just spoke these words. He felt the power of God come upon them. It went all the way through his body. His ankle and feet were, were popping and getting back into place. He felt the presence of God and the healing. And he grabbed on to them and said, you're, I know you're going into the temple. I've never been able to go into the temple. Now I'm going to go with you. And he held on to them. It was a little bit out of fear and a little bit out of surprise, but I believe that this man at this moment held on to them, not because he couldn't walk, he could, he's healed, but he held on to them because he was still shaking from having been touched by Almighty God. Hallelujah. Now, I wanna, I wanna share with you that this is something that the Bible talks about in many ways, in many times, in many places, stories from the Old Testament to the New. God is the creator of the universe. And God is real. He's a spirit, but he's real. And God loves as our father and as our creator to touch his human sons and daughters with the reality of his finger and power and presence. And I want to say that I have had many different experiences of the, it's a, it's a physical reality that the spirit of God comes upon you and your body literally begins to shake. You literally are like, wow, you, you, it's hard to describe. People describe it in a lot of different various ways. But one of the evidences is that in, when you feel the presence, the healing power of the Holy Spirit of God, your body, it's like too much. You begin to shake. You begin to vibrate. He was a little bit afraid. He was, you know, God is awesome. God is holy. God is powerful. And I want to say that right now, God is touching men and women and boys and girls like no other time in history as we come to the final hours, ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit will touch you and the power of God wants to be manifest in you and upon you and in your life. And when you encounter the supernatural, it's common to begin with trembling. So when he's with them and they're making a commotion and, and now all of a sudden there are people that start pointing and saying, hey, something's going on there. That guy's yelling, he's shouting. Why is he jumping up and down? Hey, that's the guy. Look, thousands of people would enter into the, from the Eastern Gate into the temple. And the same beggars would be in their same places, you know, year after year, feast after feast. And they go, I know that guy. Where do I know? That's the guy that's been for years lame. What's he doing walking? 
holding on to these two men, Peter and John. And so instantly now, thousands of people, I don't just mean a few or dozens or even hundreds, but such a crowd is gathered at this time in the thousands that now Peter, once he sees this crowd on Solomon's porch, those who get saved are 5,000 Jewish men, not including women, not including children. So I don't know how many other thousands there were, but 5,000 got saved. That's, that's a big deal. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Peter wisely took advantage of the growing crowd. And I believe that as he said this, and as he began to minister, uh, he, he saw, he realized, wow, God has brought these people together, so now I get to preach to them. He just preached a sermon after Pentecost. Now he's preaching another sermon because God has brought another crowd. God brought the crowd on Pentecost with a rushing mighty wind that everybody heard in Jerusalem. Now, thousands more are gathered around one healing, one miracle. Now, I wanna share with you something that happened last, uh, last Saturday night. When I was here and after the service, we had a great service and uh, this lady came up to me and she was trembling. Uh, she was crying. And she said, Pastor Ray, I have to share with you. I have to give you a testimony. And this was confirmed. This, she was here again, apparently Wednesday night when my son Daniel was preaching. And she came up to him and said, I told your dad this, but I need to tell you this because you were part of it as well. So I don't remember, I don't remember her coming up to me specifically, but she says, Pastor Ray, I had a mass on my ovary and the doctor said it's serious and we're gonna have to do surgery and I had you pray for me and I had your son Daniel pray for me and people in the church had laid hands on me and prayed for me and she, tears are just streaming down her face. She goes, and I went to the doctor and the doctor said, what did you do? You don't have that mass, it's gone. That's a miracle and it happened right here on Solomon's porch. It's a story, it's a miracle, it's a testimony. So look, what I wanna say is, cool, the Lord healed a lame man 2,000 years ago in ancient Jerusalem. I wanna say, but Jesus healed a woman of a mass on her ovary on Solomon's porch in San Diego, California at Maranatha Chapel as well. And look, we've been sharing the last couple of years, and you know, we have especially been praying for people at communion and laying hands on people and praying and exercising our authority in Jesus' name. And we have had a string of supernatural miracles, healings of all kinds. And the reason is because the same, what, what, the miracles are as awesome as they are, it's not all about them. Those miracles point to something. What they point to is that Jesus is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has all power and authority. And to show us that he's in charge of the universe, he heals us of our diseases so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I want to say this. You don't have to wait uh, for a miracle or a healing, but use every, as Peter learned now, when he saw the Holy Spirit, the, you know, the wind, 
and he took advantage of it when he gathered a crowd and he was able to share. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. You guys, Jesus is alive. Now one man, just one. It wasn't like a big healing rally. There weren't hundreds of people or even dozens that got healed. One man got healed and it gathered thousands of people. Peter got to take advantage of that, preach the gospel and 5,000 got saved from one miracle that Jesus did. Now, I wanna share with you, you don't have to wait for a supernatural miracle of healing. I mean, they're, they're, that's happening. You can tell your family, your friends, and whoever else, hey, God is alive and well in our church. And it's not only our church, any church that will pray, and lay hands on one another and believe, God will do those same healings. But when God has answered a prayer, that you've been praying and you, wow, Lord, we, we need this or I need a job or whatever. And then God hears your prayer. He answers your prayer. That gives you the opportunity to share with your family and with your friends, yes. especially in these days. Hey, I was in trouble. I prayed and God heard and answered my prayer. And look what has happened. You get, that's as easy as it is to share your faith and to share your testimony. And then they'll go, wow, maybe I should start praying and God will hear my cry. Even sometimes God hears the prayers of those who are not saved <laughs> or he heals people that are unsaved because once they're healed, it's a lot easier to become a believer, amen? Or even if you cry out to God and he hears and answers your prayer, wow, maybe I should actually become a follower of Jesus Christ. So now, this guy's holding on to them. As the crowd runs, they're all looking at Peter and John as something, you know, holy. And, and Peter says, what are you, why are you looking at us as though by our own righteousness we have done this thing? So this is giving him the opportunity. Now, I do want to say this. Because God has been moving, you know, from the late, let's say the 60s and the 70s. There, God poured out his spirit. The charismatic movement came into denominations. It went into the Episcopal Church. It went into the Methodist Church. It went into the Catholic Church. There was charismatic movements in a variety of denominations and miracles and healings and different things that were going on. But as, you know, as it evolved and then there became healing evangelists and big crusade miracle things and it almost began to emphasize, well, how many are getting, how many are filling this stadium or auditorium or whatever? I just want to point out, it doesn't take a big deal to have a big impact or to have 5,000 people get saved. You hear what I'm saying? It can happen with one miracle and one healing. And the other thing is that sometimes when you draw those big crowds like that, there are times where, and I, you know, it's a human thing, but all of a sudden it's... It's like the, the healer or the person God is using or the evangelist does tend to draw attention to themselves. It's very easy to go. And then the people go, wow, they've, they've got something special and they must be super holy or super righteous or whatever. And it's easy for human nature to fall into, yeah, look at me, <laughs> follow me or be like me. And sadly, sometimes when too much the eyes of the people are on the instrument, that God has used, and the next thing you find out of immorality, or they got in trouble with the law, or they have to get out of ministry, or they did something with funds, and it becomes an embarrassment. 
So what I, wanna, what I just want to say is when God moves and God does great things, let me just say very directly and as simply as I can, let God have all the glory, period. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. Even Peter and John, who were among the 12 who were with the Messiah for three and a half years. Peter didn't say, it's all about me. Yes, I've been praying and fasting and I'm super holy. I'm into the flow. He said, don't, what are you looking at us for? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Can I hear an amen on that? <laughs> Peter says, we are nothing. We've done nothing. This is the work of God you are seeing in response to faith that he has given. So be careful not to receive credit or glory for what God has done. Now let's read verses 13 uh, through 15. Beginning in verse 13, he says, the God, now that he's got their attention, thousands of people, I love this, how Peter begins, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. He begins with God. He begins with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, Yeshua, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just. And you asked for a murderer, remember Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. So I want to say this, always take advantage of answered prayer or miracles to preach Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, Peter says, not a new God, not a strange God, but our God, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Yeshua. Now, the greatness of Peter's sermon is it was all about Jesus. It wasn't about Peter. He wasn't talking about himself or what he'd been doing in his devotions or how much he had been praying and fasting. But the greatness of Peter's sermon is that it was all about Jesus. The focus of the sermon was not on Peter nor anything that he had done. It was totally about Jesus of Nazareth. And the first thing that Peter does is he say, Jesus is the servant. He is the perfect servant of God Almighty. And this is what the prophet Isaiah had said. I want you to look with me in Isaiah as it prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. Is it there? Okay, no, we have to go on to Isaiah 42, verse 1. Is that up there? Behold, yes, okay. Behold, my servant, you guys read with me. Can you read with me? Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. And then... I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So God prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he'll be perfect. He'll be my perfect servant. And then in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, we read this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is exactly what happened when Jesus came. 
But now this is exactly what happened when Jesus left and he's doing the same things through his apostles and through his men, his disciples that are following him. The Holy One and just. Notice that Peter says Jesus is the Holy One and just. Peter exalts Jesus as equal to God. God is called the Holy One of Israel. The term Holy One is used more than 40 times in the Old Testament as the high, glorious title of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. But now Peter uses that same title, the Holy One of Israel and the covenant keeper of Israel as being Jesus. So in verses 13 through 15, he says, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That was, remember when Barabbas, they chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. And in this passage, Peter uses you several times. Now listen, here's what Peter's saying. There's thousands of Jewish people all surrounding him right there. And here's what he's telling them. He says, you delivered up Jesus. By the way, that lame man was healed because Jesus is alive and he's risen. But here's what you did. You delivered him up. You denied him. You denied the Holy One and just. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, Barabbas, and you killed the Prince of Life. Wow. Do you feel the sharpness of that blade going in? Peter is telling the truth. Now, we want our, how many of you would love to see all of your family, all of your children, all of your friends, and all your loved ones to know Jesus Christ? Raise your hand, all right? All right, now look up here at me. When you share with them the message of the gospel and share with them the love of God, you have to be honest and you have to be direct. Sin is sin. So Peter called them out. Look what you have done. Look what you have said. Look what you have allowed to happen. You, the, God sent the Messiah <laughs> and you turned him over to be crucified and you rejected the Holy One and the Just One. Well, now look with me in verse 16. The power of Jesus' name. In verse 16... He says, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Oh, the power of the name of Jesus. Would you say the name of Jesus with me? Jesus. Jesus. Say it one more time. Jesus. Would you say this phrase in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus. Every believer and every child of God has the opportunity to use the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have authority and we have identity. Our identity is that we are in the family of God and therefore our authority is that Christ is in us and we can say in the name of Jesus, you can exercise power and the presence of God, whether it is to get rid of demonic strongholds, whether it's to preach the truth, 
whether it's to share the gospel, whether it's to rebuke a spirit of fear, whether it is to command that they will be healed and that infirmity will leave their body. We have power. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Peter did this consciously in the authority and power of Jesus. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter did not go in the authority and power or holiness of Peter. Peter would not even take credit for his faith. In fact, he says here, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. It's not, I had great faith, or if you only had faith like me, you could see miracles or whatever. He says, it's the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness. It's a faith that is the gift of God. In Hebrew thought, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of his being. Hence, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. When you say the name of Jesus, it brings all of his identity, all of his power, all of his glory, all of his authority, all of his resurrection life into the room, the home, right. the atmosphere, whatever it is that you are praying for. And we can trust in the name of Jesus. I have seen men and women that in the name of Jesus has been delivered from drugs, uh, from immorality, from demonic nightmares and strongholds. In the name of Jesus, I command that leave now in Jesus. And they're, they are healed. They are delivered. They are set free or they are saved. And it drops off like chains. You can't see it, but you can feel it in the spirit. And there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, go with me to verses 17 through 21 as Peter kind of begins wrapping up his message after he talks about the name of Jesus. In verse 17, I love this. I love this because now he shifts gears a little bit. He says, yet now, brothers, I know that you... Now, he's just used a two-edged sword to cut him and tell him, you guys are sinners. But now he says, yet now, brothers... I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. So he says, you're guilty, but I'm not condemning you, is what Peter is saying. That's very important. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Messiah would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. I love this. Now that he's told them, you know, you've sinned, he then says, but yet now, brothers... Peter spoke boldly of their sin, but he does not hate them. He did not say, you filthy, disgusting sinners. Why? Because Peter was one of them. 
Peter also had been guilty of the same things. Peter had denied the Lord. Now, Peter accuses them of denying Jesus, but then he says, but you did it, and it was part of the plan of God. God knew that this was going to happen. And I know that what you did, you did in ignorance. You didn't deliberately take and say, oh yeah, that's the Messiah, let's kill him. You didn't think he was the Messiah, but now I'm telling you that miracle that has gathered all these thousands, that man was healed in the name of Jesus, whom you mistakenly thought was not the Messiah, but he is the Messiah, he's alive, he's risen, he healed that man, he changed my life, and now I boldly speak to you. So I love, repent therefore, brothers. So he spoke in love. We don't need to go, you know, you have these people that they're kind of like, they want to be hellfire brimstone, you know, you, and they have an attitude of anger. There's almost hatred that's coming across. That doesn't represent God. And I love Peter. He says, hey, you guys blew it. You sinned. You actually rejected the Messiah. But guess what? What you did, you didn't know what you were doing. Jesus prayed, Father, from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. So we can forgive people. We can be gracious. We can speak to them as brothers. But you still got to repent which means to change your mind. Repentance is more than being sorry. It's more than feeling bad for what you have done. It literally means to turn around and change your mind and say, I'm not gonna go that way anymore. (laughs) I'm gonna go in a new direction, Amen? amen? It's a beautiful thing to be delivered and set free and set on a right path. He says to repent and be converted. You get a new life. It's not just turning over a new leaf. I'm gonna try to be more spiritual. I'm going to try to be more holy person. No, it's not about trying. It's about trusting. God forgives you of your sins, but you have to be changed in your mind, in your heart, in your attitude. You have to start desiring to live for the right things and holy things and then be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's called sanctification. It takes time. It's not just in your willpower. That's religion. But this is literally becoming a new creation. I want you to read this with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Amen. You are a different person. Literally, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, washes you, cleanses you, heals you, and you're born again. Now, being born again, you're like a little baby, Christian. You're a baby, and so babies have to learn to talk. They have to learn to walk. They have to grow up to full maturity. Takes time. Takes a lifetime. So also, we need to be patient with one another. Once you get saved, once you're genuinely born again, we have to grow, and we have to desire to grow into the fullness and the maturity of Jesus Christ. But therefore, he says, if you will repent and be converted, born again, He says that your sins may be blotted out. That's the first benefit of being saved. Your sins blotted out. Now listen, 2,000 years ago in the ancient world when you would use ink and write on paper, the ink of 2,000 years ago was different than the ink pens we have today. Today we've got chemicals and acid and all kinds of stuff in it. So when you write on, you know, like I have my notes and I write on it, you can't get rid of it or it's very, very difficult. But in ancient times, 
ink had no acid. It didn't have the chemicals we have in it. So you could write on paper and it wouldn't, it wouldn't bite into the paper. And literally, you could take a wet, damp cloth on a page that had ancient ink on it, and with a damp cloth, you could literally wipe it clean and erase it. That's what the Bible says that the Lord, the Holy Spirit will do. He will wash away all of the ink of all of the stupid, ridiculous, sinful things we've done and wash it clean. Glory, hallelujah, amen? The cleansing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, let's wrap it up, verses 22 through 26. Be warned of the danger of rejecting Jesus. We read here, beginning in verse 20, 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So I'm going to close basically by what, what Peter's wrapping up is he is saying, do you guys remember, and they would all be Jewish, and they would all remember that Moses, who is the greatest leader in the Old Testament, because God literally for one generation allowed himself to that generation to be physically seen as a pillar uh, of fire at night and a cloud by day for 40 years, God supernaturally with them. And he says that God warned, he's, Moses said, there's coming another prophet who will be like me, but greater than I am. He's speaking of the Messiah. And he said, you better listen to his words. They didn't listen to me through the wilderness and they couldn't go into the promised land. So when that greater prophet comes, who's like me and goes even way beyond the things that I've done, if you do not listen to him, you will be utterly destroyed. It was a warning. And I, I just want to say this, um, that nobody goes to hell unless they choose really to go there. If you want to go to heaven, you can go to heaven if you'll place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But nobody will be in heaven who was forced to go or made to go or you have to go. You have to want to go and choose to go. And if you don't want to go, there's only one other place to go, and that's hell. And I just want to say to you tonight, hell is real. And hell is a place of utter, absolute disintegration and destruction. There's no other path. Jesus is the way, the truth of the life and glorious life, eternal life, intimacy, relationship as a, as a father with a son or a daughter. And then we, the church, become the bride of Christ and we share with him for all of eternity. But if for whatever insane reason you don't want that and you want to go the other way, you will go into greater and greater darkness. Everything the opposite of God. God is love, you'll go in the opposite of absolute, everyone in hell is totally selfish and into themselves. 
God is light, so you're heading into greater eternal darkness. And God is the warmth of love and joy and peace. You're going into the opposite of that. Of that. Utter destruction. So the choice is to us. So Peter brought it down and then finally said, how many of you are ready to give your lives to Christ? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.